Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Welcome to another episode of Stop the Killing. Catherine, what case have you got for me today? I want to share a case with uh, you and our audience that really provides, I think, a lot of specific details about how challenging it is to know if somebody is going to do something. This case is a perfect example of that and a horrible tragedy uh, in the end. That, that's what this is. This involves a shooting that occurred in the bank in Louisville, Kentucky, and it occurred around uh, Easter time last year. It involved a bank employee. But, you know, one of the many reasons I wanted to bring about this is, is because we have some very good specific information about his motivation and kind of who knew what. And it's, yeah, it kind of makes it, it's kind of interesting. I think you'll be surprised uh, at some of the details. We have an individual who is a uh, employee of a bank. He comes into the bank one day from his home where he lives with his parents. He shoots and kills, just like that, shoots and kills five co-workers. And when police arrive, he shoots a police officer who is arriving on the scene who is 26 years old and has been out of the police academy for 10 days. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. It's just but here is the thing. The shooter is 26 years old. He has been struggling with depression. In some ways, it's a simple shooting, right? That's what in law enforcement we'd say. You know, you do one police report. Police officers get to the scene. They find dead bodies in the conference room, a bloody trail to the women's bathroom where another person is. And they see an injured police officer and they exchange fire with the shooter and the shooter is killed 
from a shooting standpoint, it's a horrific scene that police arrives, the shooting ends very quickly, right? Mm. In the end, what we had is six dead because the subject is dead. And six people who are injured, including a law enforcement officer who's 10 days out of the academy, as I mentioned. The subject left notes for his family and left notes for others. So let me tell you a few details. There's mm. two things. And I'm just going to give you a, a hint that the notes apparently talked about how he doesn't like the fact that people who have mental health challenges can buy guns in the United States. What? Yeah. That's a twist in the tale. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, exactly. So this is one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to bring it up. He left two extensive notes, uh, one in his home and one on his person, found after police killed him in the shootout. One of the notes revealed that part of his goal in doing the shooting was to show how easy it was in America for someone dealing with a serious mental illness to buy an assault-style weapon. So he said he had an AR-15-style rifle that he took in there, and he notes, as we all know, that what he did is he filled out a form, a yellow sheet form, and then his background was done. He doesn't have a criminal background, so he didn't have any domestic relations stop orders on him. He had no involuntary mental health holds on himself historically. So he was able to purchase this gun since he's not a felon and he had no court-imposed restraining orders for domestic violence. He was able to purchase the gun and walk out with it. At the time of the shooting, his family recognized that he had been struggling with mental health issues in terms of depression, right? Depression, which I don't know about in the UK, but in the United States, some estimates say by mental health officials and, and mental health medical professionals that at any given point in time, half of the people in the United States have suffered from some version of, you know, depression or anxiety. Yeah. It's, it's not unusual to have that. But there's a kind of a growing conversation that we should have on another episode about medications and how those might impact somebody down the road. Ooh. Particularly, yeah, I have a few people feeding me information. I want to put that together in an episode because I want to give it its just due. Yeah, um, interesting. Episodes about the idea that we, you know, we give people medications for their anxiety or their depression or whatever it might be. And if they're on it or they're off of it, how it might impact them and how that might affect their brain function. There, it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Adding that one to the episode list immediately. Exactly, exactly. So the family knew that he had had some uh, troubles. And in a statement to television affiliate, they said, well, the kids thing, like many of his contemporaries had mental health challenges, which we as a family were actively addressing. There were never any warning signs or indications he was capable of the shocking act. So that is what the family said, right? And, yeah, you know, that's kind of all that you can go for in that way. But a uh, little extra fact, on the morning of the shooting, the gunman's mother called 911 and said, my son is on his way to the bank. He has a gun. Wow. Imagine being the mom carrying that on your shoulders. Told the operator who was headed to the bank, not a big town. It's a lovely town. I've been there, Louisville. Oh, my gosh, it's lovely. How did she know that he was heading there? How did she find the note? He had a note, and it was found by a roommate, she said, right? Oh, uh, so, so he wasn't so living she, with his parents at the time. I did say earlier that he was, but he wasn't living with his parents, but she, they were very close, and right. roommate found the note, 
and said, he has a gun, he's on his way. So the roommate knew he had a gun. Right. on his way. Okay. He left a note found by the roommate, she said. And then the mom said to the 911 operator, this was taken off of the 911 call. Can you imagine being the mom and trying to be mm-hmm. helpful? And she says this, I'm so sorry. I'm getting details secondhand. I'm learning it now. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. I need your help. He's never hurt anybody. He's a really good kid. How many times have we heard that? So many. Right. So many. She says to the dispatcher, we don't even own guns. I don't know where he would have gotten a gun. Wow. It feels like it's so out of left field for her. Right. And I would say this is in no knock in the roommate or the mom, but I'm going to say call 911 first. Mm-hmm. Don't, a lot of times people don't want to call police because they don't want to get somebody in trouble. But you're not getting somebody in trouble. You're getting somebody help. I also wonder part of that, if you found that note, like I said recently on an episode we did when I'd come across something in a mall, you're trying to process the pieces together and you kind of want a confirmation that you're you're actually reading this right because it must be absolutely like, is this real? He's never done anything like that before. What? I think you're right. And we say, oh, that's not it. It's like you hear... A gunshot, and you say, "Oh, that must be a car backfiring, or that must be exactly." Fireworks. We're right. so quick to default to to fit something in that's more logical than the actually, mm-hmm. yeah, one-off it's, event that you yeah. And we do it not just with firearms, right? And not oh just, God, like, we, we do it with everything. Absolutely. You know, you, I mean, I can think of it like already in my head at least half a dozen times that I've done that and been completely wrong. Like when we got burgled once, I remember coming home and finding the TV on my doorstep and the house completely trashed. I still walked in and thought my husband had been home and just left a freaking mess and ripped the TV off the wall or something. Like, there's no way it could have been anything else. Right? Yeah, but I still defaulted. And we always default to, here's something that I'll say as a a trained investigator, as a longtime FBI agent, um, even as a prosecutor, we always default to work within the facts we know. And we fail to realize there are a whole bunch of facts we don't know. Oh, I like that. That's so true. So true. That's, that's why it's so important to call the threat assessment team, call the principal, call the HR person, call the president of the company, mm. wake him up, call him on his cell phone and wake him up because he'd yeah. rather know now than to know the next morning when somebody shows up at the company employee entrance with a gun. Wake yes. the guy up in the middle of the night. He would be happy to take that call. Because mm-hmm. you don't know what the pieces are. And maybe it, if it's a work situation, that, that guy is found out the day before that he's going to be fired, right? And he's coming, you know, whatever the anger is, the employer knows it. And then the people in the family know it, but they only know their pieces. They only know their pieces. Just like in the Oxford High School shooting in Michigan, my home state, the shooter, his parents had purchased a gun for him. He was 15. They had purchased a gun on a Friday. The shooting occurred on a Tuesday. That Tuesday morning, they are concerned again for the second day in a row. They call the parents to the school. The parents come to the school, but never tell the school officials, as far as we know, that they had, in fact, just purchased a gun for this kid. And this kid had access to guns. The mom, in fact, had taken him to a shooting range on Saturday um, to test it out for his new Christmas present. The school people don't know that. The mom and dad don't necessarily know that he's building his own bubbling, hate-filled desire to, to commit an act. He was chatting online 
in some dark chat room, you know, some kind of dark web sort of room, talking about how he had to get his gun now because his parents were getting to be suspicious. Everybody had little pieces of it. Yeah. So you don't know what the pieces yeah. are. So if you find a note, if you're uncertain, urgency, 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 call police, call the FBI, call the sheriff's office, call the school officials, the principal, you can't find somebody, text them, What? call anonymous reporting, call everybody you know, take it yeah. off your shoulders, call everybody you know, because this mom, you know, the guilt that she has for her child taking all these lives, the roommate, you know, who, whatever the situation was, called the mom and said, hey, man, I found this note and this is happening. The other thing I was going to say about that is, You've said before that when we want to verify whether we think the leakage is real, there's some horrific stat about how many people go back to the source. So even just giving that information to the mum, it could have easily just been like squashed there and then. Yeah, that was FBI uh, research done as part of the second part of the research that I started uh, with my co-author at the FBI. And then we took all those files and gave them to our behavioral experts down at Quantico, Mm. profilers that people call behavioral experts at Quantico, and they went through those shooters, actual shooters, and found out that of the shooters that they were able to evaluate, 61, I believe, the largest number of shooters ever evaluated with police records. So the best data we could possibly get. And more than half of those, the people uh, who found out information just went back to the person who created the leakage and said, you know, I'm done with people at school or work. They're going to be sorry. All these very specific things. And then more than half of the time, they simply went back to the person they heard it from who said, no, nah, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. And that is not the answer. Leakage no. is not to go back to the person who you heard it from. Leakage is to go to other people who might have more information and who can piece together the potential danger. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it? Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. 
she's on dispatch saying, he's never done anything like this. He's never hurt anybody. Please, please don't uh, punish him. The shooter is already in the bank. It does not take him long. It takes him just a few minutes. And within minutes, there are all these employees who were killed downtown in Louisville, Kentucky, who had coincidentally gathered together for a meeting, right? And within a few minutes, they're all casualties. And worse, the shooting was live streamed on Instagram. He live streamed it. And then, of course, the owners of Instagram took it down. But it was live streamed at the time. And I think the saddest part, is that possible to have a saddest part? I I don't know if it is. It's just like the most darkest, darkest thing. The really sad part is that, you know, one of the things that we're hearing now about this new reporting is that the content of the notes indicated that he was frustrated about the gun laws in the country and how easy it was for somebody who was struggling from a mental health standpoint to get a gun. And I've never seen that before. I know. What do you take away from that? Because that's just hard to compute. It almost seems like he decided. I'm going to take a stand in this, like a Exactly. Like an Emily Pankhurst suffragette, sort of, I'll throw myself in yeah. front of the horse for the greater good. Yeah. But well, that's, that's a, just that's such a, a story we dark. didn't learn in our history books. Oh, really? You don't know that story? Would you like to share with the Would, would you like oh, to share with the class? What history for dummies by Sarah Ferris? I don't think that's going to help anyone. Go Google Emily Pankhurst, people. But basically, in the suffragettes' time frame, one of the suffragettes threw themselves in front of a horse at one of the famous horse races over here in front of the crowd to make a stand that women should have the vote. That's the only horse race I know, Ascot. I think I I want to say it's Ascot, but I wasn't 100% sure if it was Ascot, to be honest. But my point is, is that his angle, like he's taking a stand thinking he's doing it for the greater good, but like how could you compute all of that in your mind when you take out people you know, know, people you know? Yeah. I agree. I mean, I definitely agree. I'm going to give you some other facts about him that when they interviewed the family right away, this is what the information they got from the family. But think about, and I know you're younger, but I'm just going to say, think about historically what we've seen when we've seen somebody who kind of Tiananmen Square, somebody who douses themselves with gasoline for a cause and then lights themselves on fire and how horrific that is, but how visual and uh, and how visceral uh, that is. So it is a fascinating Phenomena yeah, but that's, here, but that's different. He's not burnt himself. He's, right? yeah. I mean, that's he the bit cho- that's hard to compute. Mm. Right. So, I mean, in his mind, he might have said, well, this is the way that I can explain how easy it is to get this gun and the damage yeah. that can be done. Wow. It is a stark reality. But I don't think anybody questions the damage that can be done by guns. A lot of damage can be done by guns. So the parents came to the police station, right, the same day, and they said a couple of things I thought were interesting. They came to the shooting scene because they were aware of the situation from the roommate. Yeah. The roommate said that the shooter had left a note and stated that a notebook had been left of thoughts and letters to the family. The subject sent a group text to his parents and a brother. This is all within minutes before he left to go to the bank saying i love you okay well i get those once in a while from my kids right lucky you nothing suspicious there <laughs> that <laughs> would be <laughs> that would be a red flag in my house i tell you if my son sent me that you're so funny 
Well, when they get older, don't give up on them. <laughs> I get that. He is older. He's 19 next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my kids are in their 30s. <laughs> so, so this hope is what so, you're saying. Anyway, I don't mean to make hope. light of, of that at, at all. No, of course not. No. So, but I'm saying it's not, when we talk about what's a trigger, what's a symbol, what's something that we might worry about, and we're thinking, oh, that's a sign. I don't know. Your kid sends a group text that says, I love you. No problem, right? Yeah. Um, but the roommate finds the note and finds the note and calls the mom. And then the parents say he was in active therapy for mental health issues. And he was on various medications for mental health, which is why I want to have a discussion about mental health medications at some point. But I want to do it when we can bring the right people on. Right? Yeah. He had had an appointment the previous Thursday. He made no statements at that appointment indicating that he was going to do any self-harm. They were monitoring him for that, right? And oftentimes that's our, that's kind of our, also our fallback. This is why it's so complicated. Our fallback in mental health is like, look, lots of people get mental health care. Yeah. And they're in mental health care and the mental health officials are working to communicate with them. And that's good because it's helping them to deal with whatever their issues are, right? Yeah. So he's in mental health care. He goes to his appointment a few days earlier no problems, no statements of harming others, no statements of self-harm, right? And then his medications were changed a little bit. His dosages were increased a little bit. I don't know what that means. We'll find out, right? He had had a prior suicide attempt. Now, this is kind of one of those bing, 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 bing. Prior suicide attempt on spring break the previous year, and he had voluntarily checked into mental health hospital. Lots of people do. Better that they check in than not. And he told his mother the week before that he wanted to go on FMLA from the bank, FMLA, which actually is, I don't think that was the actual right way for him to do it, but FMLA is family medical leave. It's an act. Okay. It's a law that, so if your mother is ill or your father is ill or your child uh, breaks a leg, you mm -hmm. can, under federal law, tell your employer you need to take this leave and you don't get paid but you don't lose your job. They have to okay. bring you back in into a job at a similar level. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's a bit of a, you know, protection uh, for safety for hourly, net. Yeah. Safety net for hourly wage workers. Mm -hmm. So he was saying, Hey, I think I need to go on leave. Now you don't go on FMLA necessarily for yourself, but that's all beside the point. But he did tell his parents, he couldn't really pinpoint what was going on with him, but he knows that he needed to take a leave from work. He didn't know if he wanted to go into the banking business. And he had been kind of unhappy with his career choice. So think about 25-year-old, he's out of school, he's headed yeah. down some path of what this is what my life is going to be like, and he's really struggling with depression. And so this is just adding to it. He was in a healthy, long-term relationship with a girlfriend. People are always like, oh, these are loners. No, they're not. No, no, they're not. But I think that the most important thing that the parents told the police was that they were well aware of his long-standing frustration with current gun laws. They just don't know how or why he did what he did, but they knew that he really objected to the gun laws in the United States and, and how easy it was to get a gun. And this is how he chose to prove it. So what do you think just, about that sad story? I think it's really sad. They're all sad, but that one there is confounding and... I kind of feel like the thing about that story that sticks out to me is when we're looking for, you know, who are we looking for? There feels like there's no absolutes. 
Like you just yeah. have to be right. always checking in on people around you. I think that is the takeaway for sure. That is absolutely the takeaway because people want to buttonhole somebody who commits a mass shooting. And the reason they want to do that is all of our nature to want to buttonhole them so that we can say, I'm not like that. My friends aren't like that. My spouse isn't like that. My family is not like that. We all have the potential for violence in us. We all do. We all have that potential for violence. It's part of human nature. And we're okay with it when we send a soldier off to war. You know, we're okay with it when you're confronted by uh, somebody who's trying to kill you while you're jogging through the park and you reverse field and kill them. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're okay with violence. It just has to be justified violence. And the way that we separate ourselves from the violence that is occurring in, in terms of gun violence, in terms of mass shootings, is we say, that's not me and my family. Those are just gangs. Those are just drug people. And they're not. They're just every one of us, right? They're yeah. every one of us around. Yeah. And, and that is a hard reality to accept, that anybody could be a shooter if they're given the means and they don't have a feeling that they have a reason to go on. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one, the one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. 
a production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us.